How you doing? Oh, so good to see you all. Thanks for being here. Thanks for the chance to celebrate not only Mother's Day, but Sabbath and just be together for worship. Last weekend, we kicked off our Christophany series. Pastor Tim, he taught about... Genesis 1, the creation story, how we see Jesus in that story was beautiful. We got to introduce Pastor Ron Aguilera and his wife, Lori. He's our new executive pastor. He's going to be landing here in June, joining our team. So we're excited for that. And just as always, it is exciting to be part of what God is doing here. So first, before we jump any further, I just got to say happy Mother's Day to all the amazing moms and mother figures out there. Wow, we are so thankful for you. We are so blessed by you. We're so fortunate to have you in our lives lives and we just want you to know you are loved, you are valued, we treasure you and uh, wow, what a gift to be able to celebrate you today. Um, if any of you were here a few years ago on Mother's Day 2019, you may remember that I had the privilege of preaching that weekend. It was actually my first sermon as an official pastor here at Crosswalk and it was exciting. Um, if you remember the topic I had, it was actually on uh, demon possession and exorcism. And I was like, what? I was like so conflicted because I'm like, how do I sh show moms that they're loved when I'm talking about like exorcism? And so I was, uh, yeah, it was tough, but I was like, okay, God, this is what you've given me. I'm going to go with it. Now, keeping up with that theme of Pastor Mike sharing a controversial word on Mother's Day weekend, today we're talking about child sacrifice. So... <laughs> Like, what are these guys doing to me? This, you for real? <laughs> I'm like, same. All right, God, this is what you've got. We're going to go with it. So we're in our series, Christophany. And today we're actually, we're going to look to see where we see Jesus in the story of Abraham. So it's exciting because Abraham is such an important and such a complex figure in the biblical narrative, in history, right? So Abraham, oh, wow, his story in Genesis covers a lot. And, um, and I was thinking like, oh, maybe it'd be cool to get everybody to stand up and, you know, start swinging their arms and doing the little uh, Father Abraham. I was like, why is that a marching song, first of all? And then I was like, nah, let's not do that. That's, we don't want to do that. Let's, do you want to do that? No, you don't want to. No. <laughs> Some people said yes. So let's not start there, but let's start with the end in mind. Today, in this sermon, I want to spend time talking about three specific themes from the story of Abraham. Those themes are tribe, covenant, and sacrifice. So we're going to start with tribe. We're going to look at how Abraham was part of this really important lineage and heritage. Scripture tells us that he was a 10th generation direct descendant of Noah. So as you're reading the Genesis account, you see chapters 6 through 8, they talk about this flood, Noah. Chapter 9, God enters his covenant with Noah. Chapter 10, a bunch of lineage stuff. You skim through that. No, I'm just kidding. Chapter 11, you've got the story of the Tower of Babel. And then in chapter 12, we see and we're introduced to this character, Abram. And we find here that he is very special and that God has something important for him and for his life and for his tribe. So there's something we need to really highlight here as we get started talking about tribe, and that is the importance of tribal preservation. Now, what I mean by that is that in the ancient Near East, your tribe was everything, all right? Your tribe was your bloodline, 
It was your family. It was your home. It was your heritage. It was your lineage. It was your identity. Your tribe was everything. And everyone belonged to a tribe. Right? So that meant that all that you did was for the good of the tribe. Right? Everything that you had was for the good of the tribe. Everything, your land, your resources, all of it was for the good of the tribe. Every war that you fought, every battle you went into, it was for the good of your tribe. So as the story of Abram unfolds, we see how he's connected to this really important tribe coming all the way from, from Noah, right? So we see here now God is calling Abram to do something unique, something really different. He calls him to be the father, the leader of a new tribe, of a new generation of people. And with this beginning, this new beginning, God promises three things to Abram. He promises him new land, new tribe, and new blessings. So it says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, God tells him, leave your country, leave your relatives, leave your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. I will cause you to become the father of a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And I will make you a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. All of this is new. And all of this is wild. Because first off, this man was being called away from his home, away from his family. He was being called to step into the unknown, into this land that God says, I'll show you. <laughs> he doesn't know where he's going. He's like, God's like, just go. I'll show you where you'll end up. That's a huge leap of faith, right? So he's called to leave and go. And in that day and age, you did not do that, right? You did not walk away from your people, from your home. You stayed together. You stayed connected to the tribe because there was strength in numbers. You see, each tribe, each culture, each tribe had its own gods and goddesses. It had its own faith, its own forces at work in the world. And so there were these beliefs that those things protected you and they guided your tribe. So when you went up against another tribe in battle, you were going up against their entire system. Their whole tribe, their belief system, their gods, their culture, all of that. You went up against them and only the strong would survive. This is why you see in these stories in scripture like total annihilation, tribal genocide, right? Like you would go and you would attack another tribe and you would want to wipe them out because if one person, maybe one man was left behind, he would build up another tribe and he would come after you and he would seek revenge, right? So you, you would come in, you would wipe out the people, take captives, steal their land, take their livestock. Those were the spoils of war. So your tribal identity, though, it wasn't only about the land and the possessions you had. It was about your safety. So we see in that time and in that context, this calling of Abram was a major shift. Something huge was about to take place. Abram was being called out. He was being called away and he was being called to something new. With all of that comes this new identity. 
Something big, something new is coming. This meant that this new tribe, this new nation was going to be something that was unique and something that was different. And this new role, this new tribe was about so much more than just tribal preservation. This new tribe had a higher purpose. It had a much higher calling. This new tribe was to be a blessing to all tribes. The only trouble was, in order for Abram to give birth to this new tribe, he had to have a child, right? You got to start there. He had to have a child. Now, as I mentioned, Abraham, incredibly important character, complex character. So there's so much to his story that we just simply don't have time to go into, right? So we're going to skip ahead a little bit. We're going to skim over a few things. We'll actually completely skip the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to skip the birth of Ishmael, that whole story. We're going to skip this covenant of circumcision, all the deceptions that took place. There's a lot there that we don't have time for. All right, we're going to pick it back up in Genesis chapter 15 because the story goes on. It continues, Abraham and Sarah are still childless, but there's a promise that remains. So Genesis 15 verse 1, it says, Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, Oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Elizar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all of my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Feels like he's getting a little salty right there. He's like, what good is it? You're promising all these things? You don't even give me a son yet, right? Rightly so. The Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir. For you will have a son of your own to inherit everything I am giving you. Then the Lord brought Abram outside beneath the night sky and told him, look up into the heavens and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. That's how many sins you will have. And Abram, it says, believed the Lord. And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. I love that statement. It is so beautiful to me. He believes in the word and is counted righteous. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, oh, sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? And this is where things get interesting. The Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram and turtle dove, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. So Abram, he presented all these things to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half, 
Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. That's just a few extra details there. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. Salty and ripe? What's going on here? <laughs> After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day, and he said, I have given this land to your descendants. Pretty straightforward story, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, what? What is going on here? We've got a smoking fire pot. We've got a flaming torch. We've got animals chopped in half. This is one of those stories that when you're doing your read the Bible in a year, uh, you come to it and you're just like, I'm just going to leave that one there. I'm going to uh, skip, skip past that. No. <laughs> Something very important is happening here. So we've got to spend a little time to talk about the meaning here. What we see happening is God is establishing a covenant with man. In the ancient world, when you, enter, when you entered into a covenant some, with someone, you did this special ritual. You, you got into a covenantal agreement, right? This is like what we do here today. Our, our methods have changed a bit. Now we'll sign a paper or shake a hand. Quite a bit different and gross back then. But this is God entering into covenant with man. If you've ever heard that phrase, to cut a deal, the cutting piece really comes into play in this story, right? So the ancient practice here was pretty straightforward, as, as gross as it was. But essentially, you'd get some animals, you'd cut them in half, you'd place half here, half here, and then you would stand in the aisle and you would declare what your covenant agreement was going to be. So you would say, I'm going to commit to doing this. And then you would pass through the animals. And the meaning of that, you were saying that this will happen to me if I fail to keep this covenant. You would be split. That is the meaning of this ritual. Can you see how powerful this covenant was? Do you see how significant and important this practice was? In that day and age, there were, there were no real systems of justice or enforcement. Those things were like non-existent or very primitive, right? So when you had a covenant, your word was your bond, right? So rituals like this were the glue of society. This, this is like the insurance. It kept things working. So Abraham is told by God, that he's going to give birth to this new tribe, this new nation that's going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. But he's having trouble believing it because for one, he's quite old. Two, he doesn't have any kids. And three, the gods in that day, they did not do anything like this. All right, so he's having trouble believing it. In the ancient world, you see, the gods were far off 
They were distant. They were not active in people's lives. And they were always demanding things from people, not giving things to people. Right? So we're going to get to the sacrifice piece a little bit more in a bit. But people had to do things to appease the gods. They had to give things to keep the gods happy. You had to do all this so that the gods would be on your side. It was not the other way, the other way around. You had to give to the gods. The gods would not give to you. So this whole story of Abraham is so unique and so special because in it we see this God who spends a lot of time pursuing his people. He spends a lot of time insisting that he has special plans for his people. So Abraham, despite how, how backwards and upside down this may have all seemed to him, he believes it. And it's counted and credited to him as righteousness. He expresses a belief and a trust and a faith in God, and he is counted righteous. Then God does the most amazing thing. Abraham, he cut the animals up. He split them. He prepared for the ritual. But God passes through. You see that smoking fire pot and that flaming torch? Those were signs of the presence of God. That was, the, that was God passing through and entering into this covenant with Abram. But what's different here than every other covenantal agreement was that only one of the two parties passed through. Both parties would have to pass through to make the covenant, right? To make it official. They would both be saying, may this happen to me if I don't fulfill this covenant. But in this story, God passes through. God is the only one who passes through. And this means that God was committing to hold up both ends of the covenant. He's saying, Abraham, doesn't matter what you do or you don't do, what, what mistakes you make or what triumphs you have, I'm committing upholding your end of this covenant. And you just do not see that, right? Here we see this great God committing to hold up both ends of the side regardless of what Abraham does. God says to him, I will be faithful to you. I will keep my promises to you. I will pay the price of your broken covenant. I hope you see how radical this is. This is incredible because the people in that day, they would see this and their minds would be blown, right? They would be, they would be familiar with the custom like, oh yeah, this is the covenant story. Okay, yeah, you're getting it. You're setting it up. Then they would be completely out of their minds to see that the God of this man is the one who enters into the covenant and is not requiring him to be part of it and to step into it. There is no way. The God of Abraham is incredible, right? He flips the script. He changes the game. This is something that no other God would ever dare to do. And this God, the one true God, he doesn't just do this one time. He does it again and again and again. And this is exactly what we're going to see happen here in this final piece 
of Abraham's story. We're going to fast forward again. Many years, many things happen. We're coming to the point now where Abram has already become Abraham. Sarah and him have had a son. The promised one has arrived. The one on whom this great nation would be built and established is finally here. Genesis 22. We pick it back up and God says, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Now, if you stop right there, as a dad, I'd be like, awesome, camping trip, father-son time. All right, let's go. <laughs> but he goes on. God says, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will show you. What? This is, this is the one. He's the promised one. How, he's going to be the one to start the new generation, the new tribe. How, are you, how do you make sense of this? We've got to remember, as crazy as this sounds, this was actually common practice in that day and age. This was not uncommon. When you look back on the history of religion, you see and we find people all throughout time trying to win favor with the gods, right? There have always been these unforeseen forces at work, these gods that are working behind the scenes in the world, and people thought that if those forces were on their side, it would be good for them. So that meant you had to do everything you could to keep them happy. You had to offer up your first, your best, your livestock, your first fruits. You had to give it on the altar so that you could keep the gods happy, keep the gods in your favor. But anything you could do to help them be on your side. The trouble was, if you offered a sacrifice and the rains didn't come, what did that mean? If you offered a sacrifice and the sun didn't shine, okay, how do you interpret that? If you offered the sacrifice and your livestock all got sick or calamity came, what did that mean? What did those things make you think? That you hadn't done enough. So you go back to the altar. And this time you offer more because you hadn't done enough. So you're coming again and you're giving extra ram. You're giving more doves. You're giving more sheep. And you would hope that this time your offering would bring down the blessings. But what if it didn't? You're left in, you're in the same spot. Haven't given enough. So you got to do more. You need to offer something greater. On the other side of it, though, what if the blessings did come? So what if the rain comes? What if the sun shines? What if everything's good? You're happy. Everything is good. You've been blessed. You still had to give an offering to show your gratitude. Your thankfulness. And many times that offering would need to be bigger and better because now you're in favor. You've got to stay in favor, right? So you had to give more. Talk about religious anxiety. Think about living in that tension, right? Like, okay, have I given enough? Oh, I've got the blessing. Okay, now I've got to give more to keep the blessing. Oh, there's not blessing. i got to... Whoa, that tension. Can you imagine that? Going back and forth, not sure if you're on good graces or not, trying to win favor giving more. It's almost like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. There's anxiety either way. So what would ultimately end up happening was that you would always need to give more. 
You would need to give more. You would need to sacrifice more. You would need to offer more. And what was the most valuable thing you could give? What was the most important, precious thing you could offer up to the gods to win their favor? It was a child. In that day and age, that's where all these roads would end, giving up what you cared about most. So God tells Abram to offer up his son. And what's crazy to me is that he is not even shocked, right? Look at this. In Genesis 22, it says the next morning, he's just been told, go kill your son. The next morning, he gets up early. He saddles up his donkey. He takes his two servants with him. He gets his son Isaac, and they hit the road. He's not hesitating. He's not resisting. He's not running for the hills. He's not trying to get away from this. He's like, okay. There's no protest. He gets up early. He goes. It says, then he chopped wood to build a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place where God had told him to go. On the third day of the journey, Abraham saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the young men. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. See that we will come right back, a little Easter egg for you right there. Abraham, it says, he placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the knife and the fire. And the two of them went on together. As they did, Isaac said, Father, yes, my son Abraham replied, we have the fire and the wood. But where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and he arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld him from me. You have not withheld even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught by his horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Wow, what a story. What we see happening here is this dramatic subversion. Everything is flipped once again. You see, Abraham, he didn't reject this command from God because it wasn't uncommon. In fact, it was very much in line with the cultures and the customs of the gods in that day. It was a likely story for a God to demand an act of devotion and obedience. The audience in that day would hear this story and they would be right in line with it. But then comes this subversion. This God, he doesn't demand the sacrifice. He actually interrupts it. He actually 
stops it. And he actually provides for it. What? The gods didn't do that. The gods didn't stop a sacrifice. They demanded it. The gods didn't interrupt a sacrifice. They required more of it. The gods would not ever provide for your sacrifice. This was so opposite. You had to give to the gods. The gods didn't give to you. But in this story, this is a story about a God who gives, a God who provides, a God who steps in to relationship with his people. And he does the things that no other God would ever do. Can you imagine the power of that witness? Can you imagine telling another culture, another tribe about the God that you serve and about the things that your God does? That's a powerful testimony. And when I think about where I see Jesus in the stories of Abraham, I can't help but see him everywhere. I can't help but see Jesus in each of these stories doing something so incredibly new, something so different. I see Jesus showing up and being present. I see Jesus calling his people into relationship with him, inviting them to do something different, something better. I see him calling them out of the cultures and the customs of that day and showing them a new way, a new path. I see Jesus pulling them forward into a new understanding of what a covenant with the God of all creation looks like. One that's based on what God gives, on what God provides, and on what God does for his people, on his faithfulness. I see Jesus reshaping their understanding of a God that is not based on destruction, on death, on loss and requirement, but on blessings on faith, on provisions, and on life. In all these stories, I see Jesus as a God who is not demanding anything, but rather providing everything. A God who is trustworthy, a God who is faithful, and a God who is good. A God who steps into and not only provides, but stands in their place. This is our great God. This is the same God, the one who was, the one who is, and who is to come. Let's pray together. Oh, great and almighty God, the God of all ages, you are the same, Lord, from then to now and forever. You are so good and so faithful. You are the one who steps into life, who enters into covenant with us, who not only provides but steps in and takes the place. God, you are so good. We're grateful for your faithfulness, for your goodness, for your sacrifice, and for what you call us to, a newness, new understanding, a new way of living, the beauty, the hope of eternity. Help us to be faithful, Lord. Help us to be true. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and worship with us one more time?